Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Huang Chao, the cannibal rebel. A word of warning, today's story is not for the faint of heart. In 2006, the famous Chinese film director Zhang Yimou released a film that in English is called Curse of the Golden Flower. The story was set during the Five Dynasties and Ten Kingdoms in the 10th century, the interregnum after the fall of the Tang Dynasty and before the rise of the Song. And in Chinese, the title of the film is Man Cheng Jing Dai Huang Jing Jia. Literally, everyone throughout the city wears golden armors. That sounds rather different from Curse of the Golden Flower, although it's not quite as far-fetched as you might think. The Chinese title comes from a poem written in the 9th century during the late Tang Dynasty called Bu Di Hou Fu Ju, an ode on chrysanthemums written after failing at the exams. So it actually is a poem about flowers, kind of. The full poem goes... 待到秋来九月八，我花开后百花沙，冲天相见透长安，满城静待黄金甲。When it is nearly the Chongyang holiday in autumn, on September eighth, once my chrysanthemums bloom, they kill all the other flowers. The scent of this army of flowers rises to heaven and permeates the capital Chang'an, and it looks as though. Everyone throughout the city wears golden armors. Obviously, my translation here has no literary merit whatsoever, and I'm only providing you with a sense of what the poem is saying. So, on the surface, the poet is talking about chrysanthemums. But in not-so-veiled terms, he is protesting against the Tang Empire. The title of the poem already tells us about his disappointment with the regime. The man is specifically writing after failing at the imperial civil service exams, so after career disappointment, after having his talent not recognized by the establishment, after not being invited into that establishment. And so he gives us an image of the flowers, like an army invading the capital city killing all that stand in their way. And everyone is armed for the fight. Perhaps you won't be too surprised to learn, then, that in reality, the author of this poem went on to lead a massive rebellion against the Tang Dynasty, one that very nearly finished it off, and indeed paved the way to its final collapse into the Five Dynasties. This is his story. Huang Chao was born in 835 AD in what is now the province of Shandong in eastern China into a family of salt merchants. It should be noted that in medieval China, salt was a highly valuable and highly regulated commodity. 
the government taxed it the way a lot of modern governments tax alcohol and tobacco, and salt taxes could be a major source of government revenue. As evidenced by his poetry, Huang Chao was a man of some education. Indeed, he at least achieved the xiu cai or local degree in the civil service exams, though he repeatedly failed at the imperial level. But interestingly, he also had training in riding and archery and other combat-related skills. Given the government's interest in taxing salt, correspondingly, salt merchants had an interest in smuggling it to avoid paying taxes. Huang Chao became the leader of such a salt gang of smugglers. On a number of occasions, as Tang authorities sought to crack down on salt smuggling, he and his gang came into armed conflict with law enforcement. In 874 AD, another man by the name of Wang Xianzhi launched a rebellion against the Tang dynasty in what is now the province of Henan in central northern China. The following year, 875, Huang Chao decided to raise the banner of rebellion as well to support this man, Wang Xianzhi. Soon enough, they joined forces, and Huang Chao was working alongside Wang Xianzhi. Let's pause here for a second so I can remind you of the general political background at this time. After the Anshi Rebellion in the mid-8th century, the Tang court's ability to exercise actual control over much of the empire waned. Provincial governors and military commanders known as Jiedushi became increasingly powerful and practically autonomous from the center as they ruled over individual fiefdoms. When rebellions arose, these governors could answer the emperor's call and support the empire, but they could just as easily rebel themselves if the emperor tried to control them. So in 876, one Jie named Song Wei fought and defeated Wang Xianzhi on behalf of the empire. But Song Wei then lied to the court, claiming that he had killed Wang Xianzhi when, in fact, the man simply got away. So then Wang Xianzhi took over a bunch of new territories and threatened the city of Luoyang, the Tang Dynasty's eastern secondary capital. Now Song Wei decided that he might be better off not trying to defeat Wang Xianzhi at all. Separately, however, a cousin of the Tang Chancellor at this time was working for Wang Xianzhi. This cousin now wrote a letter to the government on Wang Xianzhi's behalf, saying that he would be open to surrender and to end the rebellion if the government would grant him a lordship. Soon enough, a representative from the Tang government came to offer Wang Xianzhi this high position. But now Huang Chao raised a real ruckus. He couldn't believe Wang Xianzhi would even consider such an offer, and screamed insults at his erstwhile friend. He even struck Wang Xianzhi on the head with a staff, bloodying the man. 
So the Tang emissary's attempt to get Wang Xianzhi to surrender ended in failure. But meanwhile, the rebel army split into two, with one group following Wang Xianzhi, and another now following Huang Chao. The two groups of rebels then joined forces again in A77 for a coordinated campaign, but then they split up again just as quickly. Then Wang Xianzhi again treated with the Tang court, sending his representatives to go and negotiate terms. But Song Wei, the Tang general who earlier thought it might be better for him if the rebellion continued, intercepted these emissaries and had them killed. So once again, Wang Xianzhi was unable to surrender and get the terms he wanted. Finally, in 878, Wang Xianzhi suffered his final defeat in what is now the province of Hubei, and he was killed. Only Huang Chao now remained, and Wang Xianzhi's surviving troops went to follow him. With the Tang government raising a fresh army against him in north-central China, Huang Chao decided to head south, invading what is now the southern province of Fujian, sacking the port city of Quanzhou. Now, Quanzhou is actually very significant in the history of global trade. For a long stretch of Chinese history, it was the entry point into and gathering spot within China, for many merchants from the Middle East. Persians and Arabs were a common sight there. In fact, in the Middle East, Quanzhou is even today remembered by its Arabic name, Zaitun, meaning olives, the city of olives. Sacking the city, Huang Chao took to massacring foreign businessmen, killing perhaps 10,000 of them. It would appear that Huang Chao really didn't like foreigners. And he wasn't done. From Fujian, he went farther south into Guangdong. There he sacked the city of Guangzhou, sometimes called Canton, another port city, and another major center of international trade during the Tang Dynasty. Abu Zaid al-Safari was active in the early 10th century and wrote the second half of Accounts of India and China, an Arabic travelogue, later gave an account of what happened after Huang Chao sacked Guangzhou. According to Abu Zaid, Huang Chao engaged in an indiscriminate massacre of Jews, Muslims, Christians, Zoroastrians, and other foreigners, killing some 120,000. Another 10th century account, written by the Arab historian Al-Mas'udi, put the death toll at 200,000. Modern scholars believe both of these accounts probably exaggerated the death toll, but there seems little doubt that a massacre happened, and Huang Chao particularly targeted foreigners, presumably blaming them for China's problems. But then many of Huang Chao's troops fell ill. The hot and humid weather of southern China, akin to that of Southeast Asia, bred malaria and other diseases, and northerners often found it difficult to cope. 
So Huang Chao led his army northward again. Hearing the news, the Tang government, of course, sent a massive army to oppose him, including 100,000 troops stationed in the city that today is called Changsha in the province of Hunan. And yet these troops seemed powerless to stop Huang Chao. It took him only a day to take Changsha, killing many or most of the 100,000 Tang soldiers. Then, with half a million men, Huang Chao's army continued north into Hubei. The Tang officers were so terrified that they abandoned their position at the city of Jiangling, and Huang Chao and his people took the city without having to draw their weapons. But immediately afterward, a Jiedushi fighting on the side of the Tang managed to score a major victory against Huang Chao. Huang Chao escaped eastward into the provinces of Jiangxi and Anhui. In 880, plague struck Huang Chao's army, killing 30 to 40 percent of his troops. With a Tang army marching against him right then, things looked bleak. For Huang Chao. But in a testament to the corruption of late Tang officialdom, Huang Chao was able to bribe the Tang generals sent against him. The generals reported to the court that the Huang Chao rebellion was practically over. Accordingly, the Tang chancellor, a man named Lu Xi, dismissed the Tang forces gathered against Huang Chao. As soon as that happened, Huang Chao turned against the Tang officers he had bribed, attacking and sacking numerous cities. One of the generals he bribed died fighting him. Another held onto the city he was guarding and basically hid within the city walls. Huang Chao kept going until in November of 880, he sacked the eastern capital of the Tang Empire, Luoyang. The mandarins left behind in the city had to put on a welcome ceremony for their new conqueror. Then Huang Chao turned his army westward, threatening the western and primary capital of the Tang Empire, the city of Chang'an. The city he mentioned in his poem. The city he envisioned permeated with the scent of chrysanthemums. In January of 881, Emperor Xizong of the Tang escaped from the city as a refugee, accompanied only by some of his palace eunuchs and aides. Chancellor Lu Xi, the man who had dismissed the army only months earlier, committed suicide by drinking poison. Shortly thereafter, Huang Chao marched into the capital itself, Chang'an. The Tang general left over in the city led the other left-behind officials to welcome Huang Chao. And this time, Huang Chao was able to restrain his men from engaging in a massacre. Initially, anyway. His troops maintained discipline in the city, and Huang Chao claimed the moral high ground by saying that he rebelled precisely for the sake of common people. And he even gave out money to the poor. The one thing he failed to do was to send an army to pursue Emperor Xizong, allowing him to get away and allowing Tang forces a moment to catch their breath. 
Huang Chao sat on the throne and declared himself emperor, announcing a new dynasty called Da Qi, the Great Qi. But then the discipline in his army began to break down again. His troops began killing people, apparently so many people that their bodies lay everywhere in the streets, and Huang Chao was unable or unwilling to stop them. The poet Wei Zhuang happened to be in Chang'an at this time, and witnessed the violence. He wrote a narrative poem about it. Qing Fuying, or Song of the Qing Woman, is the longest recorded poem from the Tang era. In the voice of a woman living in Chang'an and witnessing the massacre, Wei Zhuang describes what he saw. The treasury has been burnt down, and the silk within is now nothing but ashes. In the streets, one constantly steps on the bones of dead mandarins. The Tang Dynasty briefly returned and was able to retake Chang'an for all of one day, but the Tang troops behaved just as badly, immediately losing the support of the civilian population. So that night, Huang Chao returned, and though it's hard to imagine how much worse things could get, this time Huang Chao hated the people of Chang'an for welcoming back the Tang troops. So he ordered a full massacre of the city, killing everyone they came across. In 882, Emperor Xizong of the Tang launched a counterattack. At this time, one of Huang Chao's generals, a man named Zhu Wen, surrendered to the Tang and became a Tang general instead. Make a note of that name, Zhu Wen. He's going to be important later. In April 883, Huang Chao and his army vacated the capital, Chang'an. As they ran, they abandoned all the money and treasures that they had looted from the city. The ill-disciplined Tang troops. Stopped to stuff their pockets with as much gold as they could, allowing Huang Chao to get away. Huang Chao led his forces into the north central province of Henan, laying siege to the city of Chenzhou. To his surprise and anger, the governor of Chenzhou fought and fought hard, and refused to surrender. The siege lasted for over three hundred days. Huang Chao's army began to run out of food. To solve the food supply issue, Huang Chao ordered his men to engage in cannibalism. Horrifyingly, history records that Huang Chao constructed a giant mill, in which thousands of civilians each day were thrown in and made into ground meat. Their flesh serving to feed Huang Chao's army. I told you the story was going to get dark. Remember, the siege lasted for over three hundred days. If it's true that several thousand were killed each day for this purpose, Huang Chao and his army apparently cannibalized hundreds of thousands during this time. There is some question raised by scholars over. Whether there might have been a level of exaggeration in this account, whether it would have been even efficient, 
to cannibalize so many people. But the Jiu Tang Shu, the history of the old Tang, and the Xin Tang Shu, the history of the new Tang, as well as the later Song Dynasty history, Zi Zhi Tongjian, all agree that this happened. In the spring of 884, a Jiedu Shi named Li Keyong defeated Huang Chao in a major battle. Huang Chao escaped to his native Shandong, but then his former deputy Zhu Wen, now serving the Tang, caught up with him and defeated him again. Many of Huang Chao's lieutenants surrendered. After this, Huang Chao tried to escape, but ran into Li Keyong again. So that finally, in June 884, Tang forces had Huang Chao cornered in a valley near Mount Tai in Shandong. Huang Chao either killed himself then, or was killed by one of his underlings. Thus, finally ended the Huang Chao Rebellion. Though even after his death, some of his followers kept fighting for some years. As for the Tang Dynasty, though severely damaged by the rebellion, it managed to hobble on for another twenty-three years, until finally, in 907 A.D., a usurper pushed the last Tang Emperor, Emperor Aidi, off the throne. The usurper claimed the throne for himself, declaring the end of the Tang Dynasty, and ushering in the era. Known as the Five Dynasties and Ten Kingdoms. Who was that usurper? None other than Huang Chao's former deputy turned Tang General Zhu Wen. I told you he was going to be important. And on that note, let's close the book on this bloody, bloody tale. This has been M O D G. Thank you for listening.